0: Welcome to the Three and Out podcast. Welcome to the Three and Out podcast. With so much focus and attention geared towards the reopening of schools as we hopefully head down the final stretch of the pandemic, today our guest has received her bachelor's degree in geoscience from the University of Connecticut, master's degree in secondary education from the University of New Haven, and her sixth year degree in educational leadership from Quinnipiac University. She's a middle school science teacher in Connecticut's 2020 Teacher of the Year finalist, Tara O'Neill.
1: Tara. Hey, Tara, how are you?
2: Hey, happy Sunday, friends. All right,
1: so let's jump right into it. Uh it's March, exactly one year ago. Pandemic hits. You're a seventh grade teacher at the time. Uh what how do you find out? Can you can you play out that day? How did that happen?
2: Oh, good, good question. Good story. So um It was March 12th. It was a Thursday, a pretty vivid day in my memory. the weekend before was this big St. Patrick's Day parade ball. I'm like an avid member of the New Haven St. Patrick's Day parade committee. And we had this ball and there's 300 people in Anthony's Ocean View, like a huge party. My aunt is getting this award and she has daughters from all over the world. So her daughter flies in from France. One took the train in from Manhattan. One flies in from Denver. She's on the microphone accepting her award thanking her daughters from flying in from these like super spreader continents and and flying into St. Anthony's Ocean View. And no one's in a mask. It's a party. We're all hammered. We go to work the next week. You start hearing like kind of scuttlebutt of schools are closing. This district is closing. Yada, yada, yada. I have a faculty meeting Thursday, March 12th. It happens to be my 30th birthday. And yeah, so so I'm in this faculty meeting. It's two o'clock. And they're like, we're 100% going to be here tomorrow. Don't worry about it. We're thinking maybe we're going to tell the kids to bring home their computers and stuff. We go home. Everything's fine. Um, Mark and I are like going to get Ixtapa for dinner to go. And then we get a text message alert telling us that schools are going to be closing for two weeks the next day.
1: Governor's order or district order?
2: District order. So the state had not shut anything down at this point. Um, this is Thursday afternoon. So I get that at like five o'clock. I'm like, all right, birthday. I don't have to go to work tomorrow. Looks like we're off for two weeks. And then I had no idea that it was going to be the next eight months of my life. I'd be working remotely from home. But that was the night the pandemic hit was Tara turns 30, world shuts down.
1: Wow. So you have you're always going to have a memory of where you were when the pandemic really hit. You're going to be telling that story, 30th birthday to your grandkids.
2: Yeah, sitting on my couch ordering birthday stop let, to go, and then Mark and I went to the grocery store to load up on toilet paper that night.
1: You might have the best. You might have the best thirtieth birthday in history.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have a picture on my phone from eight twenty one p.m. at Stop and Shop grocery shopping. That's the last picture I took before the pandemic.
1: Why did you take a picture at Stop and Shop? <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> I sent it to my. Sisters. They're like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Grocery shopping." What are you guys doing? Oh, uh, that's,
1: uh, that's what you do at thirty, bro.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag this is 30.
1: So, all right. So now you're home for the next two weeks, at least it ends up turning into eight months. Uh, What was the transition into virtual learning like for you and your students? Uh, What kind of challenges did, did, were brought from that? Uh, And how do you think it went overall?
2: Yeah. um, It was challenging on a multitude of levels. Meriden, that's where I teach is like, uh, we were a leg ahead in terms of all of our students had one-to-one devices. So every student already had a district provided Chromebook at the middle school level. Awesome. Yes. So as soon as we started, that made life easy. We've been a one-to-one district for four or five years. So we're ahead of the curve there. Um, But still we have low-income homes who don't have Wi-Fi, don't have connections, don't always have chargers available, et cetera, et cetera. So we met challenges in terms of technology, But the hardest transition during that March, April time, once we officially decided to go full virtual for the end of the year, was motivating kids to come online and meet with us. Um, There's two different ways for remote learning. You have what's called synchronous, where I'm live teaching, you're live attending, or asynchronous, which means I'm posting work, you're submitting work, I'm going back grading, and we're communicating via email or something like that. When we held synchronous classes, you had kids like in their pajamas, in their beds, eating food outside with their dogs, showing off their pet chickens, just needed some sort of social interaction. And it was just like friendship morning meeting. I was like a kindergarten teacher to a bunch of sounds people. like
0: chaos. Yeah.
2: Oh, it was not so. And like my dogs in the background, I haven't been out of my house in weeks. I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to survive this? But it got better over like by like May. I was probably in a swing of things like I had a routine. My kids knew what to do. I was posting videos. The kids got really good at it. I got really good at it. I wanted to go back live in person for the following school year for sure. It was obvious to me that kids did better in person. That became really obvious really fast.
0: Are you back in the classroom now or are you still do remote?
2: Uh so I am have been live in person this whole school year.
0: Oh, and
2: huh. yeah, actually during the spring semester I was um a teacher representative on me, Connecticut's reopening task force. So each school- Out of how
1: many many people had that? How many of those, how many of there were you?
2: Um, So in Connecticut, there are six, what are called RESCs, which are regional educational school um, councils and ACEs probably sounds familiar to you guys. That's what Hamden is in. Meriden is also in ACEs. So within ACEs, there were two teacher representatives on this task force. I was one of them. So it was me and then a teacher from- I think he was from Amity actually and then a f- superintendent, school nurses, Board of Education members, just a bunch of stakeholders together saying, how are we going to open this up? And those questions were everything from how do we afford plexiglass to do we put masks on every single kid? do we provide the mask? Do they provide the mask? How do we install hand washing in all of these classrooms? What do we do about bathrooms? What do we do about hallways? So we were fielding these questions in hopes of being able to open up in-person special education summer programs. Like by the end of March, I had already been invited to be on this task force, and we had started bi-weekly meetings to answer all these questions. And then the state came out with guidelines. Districts were able to try to get those guidelines to work in their buildings. Um, I was really fortunate because Meriden was able to swing it, and we had full in-person learning. K-8, and then a hybrid model at the high school. Uh, parents also have the option, and this is all the way back in September, parents also had the option to sign up for distance learning. So we actually hired additional staff, rearranged some staffing within the district, and had an entire virtual middle school and elementary school happening as well. So parents could choose to have students at home or choose to have students in person. Um, I was an in-person teacher. I've been an in-person teacher the whole time with class sizes no bigger than 18, I have four classes a day. My students stay in one spot, and I rotate to different rooms. So we do a, like a cohort pod model, where if one kid is exposed, we quarantine the kids who sit around them. We follow all of the COVID guidelines for the and Public Health Department, and we made it work.
0: Kids. The kids have to wear masks all throughout the day.
2: Yeah, kids wear masks all day. <coughs> is it hard them.
0: to enforce that?
2: Okay, at first, like it's middle school, just as hard as it is to enforce, like keeping your hands to yourself. It was no different than enforcing any other rule. And there's still this layer of you could have COVID. I could have COVID. I could be spreading to you. You could be spreading to me. So there's like an intensity about having to push this, like, wear your freaking mask, like over your nose. nose have your you mouth. had
0: anybody be like, my parents don't believe in this? I don't want to wear a mask or any of those type situations?
2: I've had it in terms of like student comebacks when I'm being remindful, not a genuine parent outreach. I don't believe it because we have the option for distance learning. I think parents who hold those beliefs would hold their Oh
0: family. yeah. Keep them at home. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and, and kids have chosen to homeschool, et cetera. We also had YMCA program set up for parents who didn't want their kids in a full school, but wanted them to have distance learning with supervision. So we had kids learning at the Y without going into the building and all sorts of, Provisions in place to make it work, but that's not the picture painted in every district in Connecticut. Like, this is my singular experience. You hear horror stories of some other s- districts that weren't able to do that, or had to close down more frequently, was less consistent. But that was my experience. As
1: but what me. made you guys different? What made Meriden different? Do you have plexiglass up right now?
2: Uh, I have a plexiglass guy there, or like
1: as a teacher, to- you do.
2: Uh, yeah, in front of my teacher desk, and then You've got my
1: the kids desk. don't have it though.
2: No, the kids do not have it. So they sit in the same seat all day. So if like student A has to quarantine because he is a primary contact of someone at home, no one else around him needs to because he's a contact of a contact. If someone in my class gets COVID test positive, then we quarantine the people who sit within six feet around that person. We had to have a whole classroom quarantine for two weeks. So then I'm teaching one of my classes at home. I'm on camera teaching them virtually. My three other classes are in person. Or we've had a situation where a um, teacher tests positive, so the front row of every single class has to quarantine. So for those two weeks, I had to teach kids who are home and in person at the same time. So I have my video camera, I'm teaching to them. I have people at home like raising their virtual hand. people in class raising their real hand. <laughs> oh my kid. god!
1: Uh, yeah, that's of- that's gotta be tough. Jeez! Oh. Not only for you though, but for the kids. I mean, what? Everybody kind involved. Of shit yeah. Is that. Yeah. Especially especially. Imagine- I mean. <laughs>
2: yes ed imagine being 12 and self-motivating to wake your butt up know when to log off of this class go log into your other teacher's classroom go finish your homework after school with all of this stuff and then i still can't handle that
1: you guys I'm 31 you, you guys knew how i know how i was in high school and middle school there is no way i was doing any
2: of that You would not have been a uh, successful distance learner. No. (laughs) I say that affectionately.
1: I would not have.
2: So you have to make your class like worth coming to. Like they have to think something weird is going to happen that they're going to miss out on. Like I've become this weirdo. You're the quirky teacher. Oh, yeah.
1: What do you do? Yeah, Give us some examples. Dance. Yes. Please (laughs) give us an example.
2: Like Tunes Tuesday with Miss O'Neill. And then we like karaoke style with like my fake microphone that's like you guys, you guys
0: you guys would be surprised how easy it is to catch the attention of kids that young yeah, yeah. yeah. i see that i see that from coaching if you relate to anything they enjoy like it's yeah. super easy to just say Do oh, anything and i'm just- so
2: i'm so funny with them i'm like what well, are you guys on instabook right now you must be on that <laughs> chat snap and i'm like oh that's the ghost one right like ooh, scary on the chat snap and they're all like miss you're so old you're like 50 and i was like 52 today and like yeah, no i have a mask on they've never seen below my nose it's like they have no idea what's uh,
1: going on when you guys were going through uh when you guys were having your meetings to discuss how you guys were going to get back to in-person learning did, did the idea that a lot of the kids Um, That they rely on school for like food, proper nutrition. Did that play a role in like how you guys wanted to bring people back?
2: That plays a role in every single decision that has been made. That's probably one of the first and second questions posed, especially in a district like Meriden, where we do have I think it's 68 percent students who get free and reduced lunch but we're actually in a district where we offer every single student breakfast and lunch and we have a contingency of families who also get dinner so you're working at three meals a day for about 60 percent of our students so when we shut down in march the first thing they planned was these like huge food distribution events where they would get like Big paper bags of five meals for three kids on a Friday. They would like get it for the whole week, so every kid had fed like five meals for that week. Or da da da. When we opened back up in September, the goal was to get as many kids in person safely as possible, and to ensure that all distance learners had access to food and internet. So we also gave out Wi-Fi hotspots and like these Khajiit things that we would send home, and they would have Wi-Fi for the whole house. Um, our district worked with, worked with like certain housing um, areas and like installed free Wi Fi there, and we had all sorts of merit and Wi Fi to like make it work. But the food decision that it's like huge. When I was in the reopening task force for the state, I was also in the same risk as Waterbury and other you know districts who are of need, like high need districts. Um, and that was the problem. Like we have to feed the kids. Like it is safer for them to be in school with heat internet and food than it is for them to be at home so how do we get them in here and continue to make school a safer place
1: do you feel safe you as a teacher do you think
0: the kids feel safe yeah do you come in every day do you have to get tested like the whole faculty every morning
2: no the faculty never had to get tested there was never temperature checks we self-monitor for symptoms so we have like protocols we have physical protocols including hand washing like just the three W's, wear your mask, wash your hands, watch your distance. Those are all regular things. I can like say them really fast. Um, so
1: you're definitely um, a teacher. You just said the three W's. That's definitely a teacher. Um,
2: so I, I personally feel safe in my, I I have unlimited faith in my administration to enforce rules and make sure that my students do what they need to do, that the parents do what they need to do. Um, With that being said, I know that that may not be a popular opinion across educators nationwide or even statewide. I know that there are teachers who have the opinion that they are not a frontline worker. They don't need to put their lives at risk when kids could be learning from home. I know that there's like a divide in that view, but I have seen kids successful, middle school kids successfully not get sick and be in school and learn and make up the gaps that were happening from the distance learning I feel safe because I do my part like I wear my mask all day I don't eat lunch with like other adults like you just you could do the right thing and feel safe or you could decide that it's not safe and kind of harp on that but there has been no in my district no positive evidence of community spread within the school like a kid who had to quarantine because they were a primary contact of a positive student, no student has then tested positive.
0: Uh, so Miguel Cardona uh, just confirmed on March first, I believe, uh, became the secretary secretary of education. Uh, what was your? Do you have a relationship with him, or did you work directly with him?
2: Uh, I've worked in a few different capacities with him. Um, his wife is the family school liaison at my school right now. I taught both of his children in a Saturday enrichment program in grades three and five. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. Yeah, he's a cool guy. His kids are very smart and fun to be around. Um, But I also worked with him on the district leadership team when he was assistant superintendent in Meriden. One of his jobs was to oversee the district leadership team. And in his role there, I started as a member on the district leadership team. And I was promoted to chair of one of the committees on the district leadership team. So we worked together there. Um, And once he became the commissioner of education for the state of Connecticut, He also oversaw the teacher of the year process. So when I became teacher of the year, he was the one who gave me my award. Um, Yeah. So I've worked with him. He knows me by face and name.
1: Were you, were you surprised when he was nominated?
2: Yeah. Was that
1: like? You know, him, you taught his kids.
2: Like, Like being a Meriden teacher and hearing the buzz because it happened so fast. Like, even when he became the commissioner of ed in Connecticut, that was like a really big deal in Meriden. Like, ah, I know him like, whoa, no way. This is cool. And then doing the teacher of the year stuff, he like gave me this big hug on stage. He's like, Tara, congratulations. I was like, Miguel, hi. Like, <laughs> and everyone else gets like a handshake and I get this hug and I'm like, oh, I'm sweating. Like, like that was cool. And then for him to hit the national stage, it was like, wait, out of everyone else, in the entire United States within leadership in education, Miguel's the guy. And you didn't know it was going to be Miguel. There was things going back and forth about some other people in Connecticut has some like phenomenal educators. Like Johanna Hayes was a uh, Senator and like all sorts of stuff. Like we have educators who have gone far in the state of Connecticut, but he, what did I say? Like a meteoric, meteor meteorolic, like whatever. He like soars like a meteor all the way up into this super special, Position, right? Um, I you
1: were a science teacher. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Miguel superstardom. No, it, it was a huge deal, like a really big deal. And then he came and he spoke to our students. One of the coolest things when, after
1: he was nominated by he- Biden.
2: Yeah, so the day he was nominated by Biden, we live streamed his nomination for our students.
1: Oh wow!
2: I mean, he grew up in the projects in Meriden, like Yale Acres projects in Meriden. Our students live there. Like my students in eighth grade live there. And here's this guy on national TV accepting a nomination for the highest educator in the United States. Like that's the position to get, and he's like speaking Spanish to them. He he has this like very famous quote. It's like on mugs. He's like, "I'm as." American as apple pie and rice and beans. He grew up in like a bilingual household. He graduated with like a bilingual multicultural degree from UConn and he he is the guy. And he's also so kind and personable. And I've been in rooms when he's been there watching kids. That is a guy who like, you knew he loved teaching because he still lights up around students. Like he really, really loves kids. At that's, any age level.
1: That's got to be amazing for the kids to see. Yeah, absolutely. It's
2: um, so like some of the kids are crying, like their parents. We And then we had him come once he had, that was his nomination um, acceptance. Like when Biden had first nominated him, it's just him, Biden and Kamala up there, like talking on these these podiums. And then he came. So that was the national address. But then he came back to Meriden. He was in D.C. for all of this stuff, obviously. And then he came back to Meriden and did like a big Press conference from the high school in Meriden and spoke like directly to our students. And that the kids were like, "Oh my gosh! Like, wait, he's here right now! Like, that's at Maloney, the high school." And they it started clicking for them. They won't know how important this is for years to come, but uh, it you know that it's going to be important for them later on. And I saw it all in my classroom. Uh, I live streamed it.
1: So, in your opinion, is he going to be a better Secretary of Education than the previous Secretary of Education?
2: Betsy
1: yeah Uh, yeah
2: he's going to sweep Betsy under the rug it's unreal just when
1: did you did you see this in him like did you always see him as like this great leader who could or were you kind of surprised
2: we're not best friends like I I don't have a cell phone number I'm not going to call him up but in terms of being in his office and having conversations he's a guy who promotes teachers and wants teachers to aspire to be teacher leaders he, he's just the guy he, he you could see him going anywhere based solely on his personality and nothing about Miguel in my experience has ever seen seemed disingenuous. So oh I think those are character quality traits that you can't make up. And I think if you're going to hold a position like this amidst what we're dealing with in education right now, when we are super divided and teachers feel as though kids should be vaccinated and they should be vaccinated and we shouldn't be in or we need to be in and, and what that divide is. He's a guy who who has a clear head and like a super big heart, so I think he's the guy
0: so you're a finalist for Teacher of the Year, Connecticut in two thousand and nineteen, but yeah. it was two thousand and twenty technically um what that mean to you as you've only well you're seven years in at that time to get that kind of honor so seven years in that must have been pretty special for you
2: Teacher of the Year was a crazy freaking time in life like super duper crazy um so the way that it works is your school nominates you first and you have to have had tenure so I actually think I was nominated at the end of probably in like April of 2019 I was nominated for my school and then the school sends you to like this district interview so you sit down with people like Miguel um I think he was already commissioner by then but I had an interview panel of like five or six people and they ask you random questions about your teaching and da 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 but just to be nominated by your school, there's 56 certified teachers at my school at this point. And this year, like 2018, 2019, frankly, I was like a really shitty teacher. I was like done with my six-year degree. I was exhausted. I had like moved. I am tired. Like, I don't remember being a super rock star teacher this year. Like years previous before that, i had like really put it all out there. i had built units and lessons and yada, yada, yada. So I get this nomination. I'm like, someone's not looking in my classroom. This is misplaced. Not making sense to me. Like. Danielle down the road is way better. Like, I uh, this is wrong. Somebody messed up. I get this nomination. I go to this interview. I'm like, oh my God. Like there's so many other people in the district from all the others, what, eight elementary schools and four secondary schools. So there's 12 teachers of the year in Meriden. We go to this big awards dinner. I interview, we go to this big awards dinner, and it's in May of 2019. And they announce me as the teacher of the year in Meriden. My dad's there. He's like clapping and crying i like raw amy and cora like you need like a hype squad you were supposed to bring people yeah in. absolutely yeah. sure so, like, absolutely. obviously like amy's like oh my god yes <laughs> and i'm like oh my god i have to say a speech what 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 I'm wearing a jean jacket. Like, I did not think I was going to win. I'm in, like, a denim jacket. You can see my pit stains through it. I get up there. It's on Twitter somewhere, my, like, acceptance speech. I said something about sweating, and, like, that's why I relate to middle school students. And, like, this is me. I'm like, I'm really sweating. This is obviously my <laughs> middle school students love me. I was like, oh, we really got to get to Eli's girls. I say this to Amy and Cora in my acceptance speech in front of my entire district, okay? Oh. Like, every other teacher of the year, their families, their hype squad, and then here's Tara O'Neill up there just sweating. And like, ah, this is happening. So that's for the district. And that means so much. I mean, there's a thousand teachers in my district. And as soon as you win it for your district, you have to give the speech for the entire district at what's called convocation. It's a jump off party at the beginning of a school year where your entire district, all the teachers, the paras, the nurses, everyone sit in the auditorium and you get them all excited for the new school year. I've been to seven convocations at this point. All of the teachers of the year are amazing. It's always the best part of the whole thing. And I have to give this speech. And so I'm like, what the heck? I win this award and now I have to sweat all summer to do this? At this point, I had no idea there was a state competition. I'm just nervous about this big speech. So they make you apply to the state. I get a call back in like July saying that I'm a semifinalist for the state based on a paper interview. This is 20 pages that I have to write on nine questions, like intense questions, like about equity, about restorative, about how you do this, how you feel about this, yada, yada, yada. The best lesson you've ever done. How you connect with parents. Just like stupid stuff you don't want to spend your summer doing. But I did it. I sent it in. They said, call me as a semifinalist. You had to go to the state of Connecticut Capitol building and sit there in one of those like wooden rooms. You know, what I'm talking about like the, like you're in judges chambers and it's all circles. It's a panel of 18 people who interview me. So I'm sitting there and there's 18 people asking questions one at a time um like really hard difficult questions whatever I had listened to a bunch of podcasts on my way driving to Hartford to do this and I was just like buzzword spitting I end up being a finalist they come and do these site visits it was intense like wait did
1: you know that that's how it was going to be before you went there
2: no I knew nothing absolutely (laughs) nothing I sit in the room and it's like cherry and mahogany wood and like the smell of like Burgundy carpet and like in a blazer again, sweating. Sweat is like a really big theme in my teacher of the year journey, and like <laughs> just panicking. Like absolutely.
1: so. How, so what they tell you? Like what they tell Nothing. you? Why? Then,
2: you then you just leaves. Then you leave, and then you wait for a phone call. Then you get a phone call, and like end of August, and they say, Tara, congratulations, you're a finalist for the state teacher of year competition. We are going to come to your school for a site visit, and we need you to coordinate eight interview slots with three people in each slot. We want to see a group of parents, a group of students, a group of administrators you've worked with, a group of colleagues you would work with, support staff, such as paraprofessionals, and then a bonus group of your choosing. I had to plan a four-hour event my district put on this crazy show. They ordered like mums and pumpkins and haystacks and like invited all these people into the building all for me. They, what do you
0: haystacks? get? If, what if you get if you win this? <laughs> for real.
2: <laughs> I mean.
0: Fucking plaque won, probably. Yeah. You know, yeah. What do you get?
2: Um, I don't know.
0: Recognition?
2: Then you go on to the national competition. The woman who won, Megan Gary Hatch, she is phenomenal. She, yeah, teacher of the year. That, it like, I don't even know what it meant to me because it was such an intense time of having to plan and deal with and do all of those things. Um, Like after the, the high of that ran off, on like a personal level, I was just like in a down place in life. Like you're on this high of people wanting to talk to you and interview you, then I didn't win. And I was like, now what? Like I had just been on autopilot grinding for so long. What was, how long was the process? from the day I won at Lincoln in April until they announced it on like December 3rd,
1: 2019.
2: Yeah. Where, where this was just constantly background mind stuff. So that was 2019. Like it was a hard year. And like in between like Mark and I get engaged, I get the dog Maisie. Like we like switch apartments or like, I, yeah, I think we moved that year too. It was just stupid amount of stuff. Katie had a baby. It was just like nuts. And then I, finally stopped. And I think it wasn't until December. I remember it's like an Instagram post I wrote at the end of December. And I was like, I never reveled in what it meant to be teacher of the year. Like, I I think I finally did probably January of 2020. I was like, wow, like I did that. I am really good at my job. People saw that I was really good at my job. Kids know that I'm really good at my job and they tell their parents that. And like, I'm making a difference. And I still have trouble saying those things out loud. Like, you don't get into teaching because you want people to tell you you're a good teacher. You get into teaching so you can talk to little kids. Like, I, I don't like talking to adults. I I hang out with twelve year olds all day. Like, this is the worst thing in the world. And I had to talk to adults for these awards, and and uh, yeah, it meant it still means everything to me. I, I don't even know how. I don't know how it happened, but it did, and it means so much. And
1: so. Obviously, you have a big impact on these kids, right? But you are right. different than these kids, right? How does that play a role into the way, the, the approach that you have? I mean, how was, how how, is it harder for you? Do you feel like, you I know, because you, you obviously have to build relationships with these kids. You have to get them to trust you and you're different. And then in the post, the post, I mean, you're white. They're not. Yeah. The I've post, post, post George Floyd world. I mean, how, how do...
2: Yeah, like yeah. Really. Explain that. So um, I, I recently heard someone say like uh, race isn't the elephant in the room. It's the room that the elephant's in. Like it's not the thing that we're not talking about. It's just the framework that we all live in in general. Um, And, and since George Floyd and the like resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, I did some personal reflections and personal work and I looked at the way that I treat students in my classroom and my own bias and the bias I didn't know existed. And again, Meriden does some cool stuff. And we have this thing called like our equity training group. So I joined a group of middle school educators. I know Meriden. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, a lot of districts have this, especially after like come April of last year or yeah, of last year, all districts put money into this. Um, But I joined this equity group that just opened up the conversation. So it's me and I don't know, 12, 13 other middle school teachers ranging in in race, background, and experience teacher content area, just to say, like, what are you noticing in your classroom, and what are you doing, Um, and we have hard conversations about the fact that, like, African-American females, we take this belonging survey at the beginning of each school year, every single student does, and I think they have, like, a two percent sense of belonging within classrooms, they have the single lowest sense of belonging in our classrooms are African-American females. And you hear information like that. And it's like, my white kids feel like they belong. My Hispanic kids feel like they belong. My black kids don't feel like they belong. And Meriden is a bilingual district. So we have a really high percentage of Hispanic students, um, Spanish speaking students, L1. We have bilingual programs that are elementary and middle and high schools. And we have students from Puerto Rico, Mexico, Guatemala, Ecuador, like anywhere you can think of, we have students in Meriden who are really well supported with bilingual programming, with purposeful curriculum, with resources and whatnot for their families and them. But our, our black population right now is underserved and under related to, and we don't have teachers in our district who look like our students and they don't in the state of Connecticut. I think 9% of teachers in the state of Connecticut are of minority despite the fact that it's cool. Yeah. And it's, it's, they're shitty and starking like stark stats, right? Like that, that think about that. So in my school, I have 68% or maybe, maybe a little bit lower than that. Maybe it's 64% Hispanic students and 9% of teachers in Meriden are minority. Like That, that?
1: that. That's shocking to me in the sense, because of, of there's all, I mean, you have new Haven Bridgeport, like Ed said, meriden wallingford i mean hartford danbury these aren't predominantly white yeah areas and you and, the, and a lot majority of the teachers in all of those districts are non-minor i mean that's just just insane to me
2: yeah i mean there's big pushes on all of these district improvement plans for what are you doing to promote The teaching profession with minority students. How are you helping high school students to think about going into teaching, giving back to their communities? We have a lot of alternative routes to certification in the state of Connecticut for wannabe teachers who may not have gone to school to be a teacher. Um, And I think I listened to this leading equity podcast, um, and they, I think they said that black student who has a black teacher, one black teacher is like twenty four percent more likely to go to college, and I think that goes like. 70 percent or something like that that they have two black teachers like and wow. that's just ha- that says that's nothing about the teacher's ability It's crazy. that simply seeing someone like yourself in a position yeah,
0: like that. being able being being able to relate to it
2: and and like i will never be able to relate to my students based solely on my race in the way that someone who was hispanic or black could relate to them i, I just i can't and, and i can't pretend to and i can be as cool or as quirky or as weird as I want to be. And race is still the room I'm sitting in and that lives there. So I have to find a way to build a relationship with not only my students, but their parents and their friends and, and let them know that I'm still a safe person to emote around. Like middle schoolers are very emotional yet. Like it's just strange, super. Ed
1: knows, Ed knows he (laughs) was an emotional middle schooler. Yeah. (laughs) Still am. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> hasn't grown out of it yet <laughs> had bad teachers um
1: so- <laughs> the white teachers <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my god him the middle probably did no so like all right middle school is this weird time where you have the like audacity and like the brashness of a superhero but your like brain physiologically is not developed like your frontal cortex does not have enough Neuron connections to make decisions. I think you have the foresight of like three minutes into the future in terms of consequences to your actions. And then you can't see anything else. So, like you could see you're gonna burn your hand by putting it in fire, but then you're done. Like you don't know the next two steps, like who's gonna get the band-aid or any of this stuff. Like, you can't see past that. You're like reward centers just so much
0: that, that explains you know, so much. I know. Yeah.
2: And like still, you'll see teachers, and like I find myself in this trap sometimes. I'm expecting my student to adult like, why don't you do this? Like, what do you mean you don't have your homework? What do you mean you forgot it? I forgot it. How did you forget it? Well, I didn't think about it. And I came to school. I think that's how forgetting works. Like (laughs) and and, and (laughs) I put these like adult expectations on a 12 year old brain. And then I get mad when they don't meet them. And then it, what a terrible cycle to enter. And then like, I, um, like think, okay, the life of a middle schooler, you wake up Someone's yelling at you because you're late or you're not doing something like they get just get yelled at 24 seven, either by their parents or by their teachers or someone. And then they have to go to seven different adults who want them to act seven different ways throughout the course of a day. Right. Like they have seven teachers with seven different attitudes and seven different needs.
0: I've never really thought about like this, like breaking it down to that level.
2: It's It's
0: significant. Yeah.
2: Imagine sitting in a classroom with me for 50 minutes and then having to learn from Zach for 50 minutes and then having to learn from Ed for 50 minutes. Like Zach, Ed and I want three completely different students in front of us and you just have to be that person. Like That's nuts.
1: What was our math teacher's name, Matt, And when we had math together? Mr. Mr. Yeah, I want that version of Matt in my class that I'm teaching you. (laughs) <laughs> Where we just talk about sports yeah mr <laughs> mr c just calls out a name on fantasy like hey just yeah he did last night like in the middle of class amazing it gives me a c because i could talk
0: sports and we called it a day see you <laughs> next year <laughs> oh. Like the life uh when you first like got to teaching and were were you in meriden all seven years or yeah, all yeah. eight years now yeah, was yeah. it like a culture shock kind of to kind of have to adapt to that
2: you know, like we all went to Hamden high, like, I was
0: just about to say that. Yeah. Yeah, Hamden high is no,
2: uh, but like, okay. I will say like my biggest, like
0: (laughs) from an educator level.
2: Okay. So culture shock for me was, I went to Springland school in Hamden. So like the the four of us had some pretty starkly different upbringings in terms of our elementary schools, right? Like I remember the first African-American student to come into my elementary school in Springland. Her name was Shakia. Welcome. And when you would take the attendance list, it was last name, then first name. So it said, welcome, comma, Shakia. And I was like, why does Shakia get a welcome? Like, how come <laughs> I don't get a welcome? And I asked Ms. Tomavangsa this. So I had, I had <laughs> like, why don't I get a welcome? I was pissed. I like went home and told my mom about it. Like, oh, she man. got welcome today and I didn't. <laughs>
1: like, oh. Like.
2: <laughs> and I remember this so much. And like, I, I think it was third grade. I think it was third grade, either third or fifth. I don't know. But I remember this like 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 freaking out about this. And that was the first black student I had in my classes coming from Spring Glen. And then I went to Hamden Middle, which that was culture shock. There was like, whoa, there are a lot of people who do a lot of different things. Then we'd have like fights in the cafeteria going down the stairs and people like throw the food over terrible cafeteria design for a middle. I
1: know I was thinking about that recently. Who the (laughs) fuck did that?
2: Back to culture shock of Hamden, like middle school was was a culture shock, but Meriden wasn't. If the bigger culture shock was the ageism that happens with middle school students, like there is a lot of adult will imposed on 12 year olds who simply can't meet expectations of adults. And it's the adults fault, not the students fault. That was the biggest shock to me. And I knew that from like day one, I think like brag moment. Yeah, I'm a good teacher. And I think that's one of the reasons like in my heart and soul, like it's pretty shitty what some adults expect of young kids without ever training them just like having expectations so yeah that was like, that's fair
0: yeah uh, was teaching something you always wanted to do like going back to high school even
2: yeah um I had a teacher I went to Sacred Heart for a year I don't know if you guys remember but I dipped that's when
0: I met you when you're at Sacred Heart
2: okay so I yeah. went to Sacred Heart and I had a really good bio teacher and that's when I decided I wanted to be a science teacher I took a really long road to get there I um enrolled in i think i was a bio major at UConn first but i failed out of college essentially my first year i was on academic probation for a year and a half because i failed chem and i failed bio and i failed calculus
1: too much x lot
2: yeah a lot of x lot um and
0: thought about x lot in a long long time wow
2: i know how is it like that was the definition of a parking lot party
0: that was Um, reckless those days
2: (laughs) r.i.p spring weekend but yeah so i um I found the easiest science to pass, which happened to be geology. I didn't even need to, I have a bachelor's of arts in geology. I don't even have a bachelor's of science as a science teacher. Cause I couldn't pass my chem test. I had to retake everything at like gateway and MCC before I got certified in the state of Connecticut, like took a real roundabout path, but I always knew I wanted to teach science. And I knew I wanted to teach kids. I didn't think I wanted to be at a middle school. I was randomly placed there as my internship. And then I never left.
0: Yeah, that was gonna be my other question. Why, why middle school? I feel like that's got to be no. the hardest place to start.
2: Yeah, why? Yeah, why would like no one does? Nobody chooses middle school. They end up there, and then they realize they're well suited. Like, I, I don't, I don't think there are teachers who are like, yeah, I can't wait to be with adolescent hormone raging assholes every day.
1: <laughs> Do you think you'll ever go to a different grade? Do you no. want to? Do you want to explore different grades? Elementary, maybe high school.
2: I, no? I've um. I've explored enough in certain like avenues. Like I, I teach a Saturday program to grades three, four, and five on like STEM enrichment Richmond and like science fun stuff. I wouldn't go younger than three. I'm just, I'm too funny for younger than three. My, my humor is lost on the second <laughs> grader. Um, <laughs> um, and high schoolers are too old for me. I don't know. I'd, I, I still feel too young to be able to teach a high schooler. Like I don't have enough. I don't know. Something would feel weird about it. Um,
1: OK, are teachers over uh, underpaid and overworked. Yeah, yeah,
2: teachers are underpaid and overworked.
1: And do yeah. you think do you think that all teachers should be vaccinated? Should they be moved to a high priority?
2: I mean, in Connecticut, they are high priority. My vaccine is Tuesday where one B, So they're vaccinating all teachers in the state of Connecticut right now. Um,
1: oh, they are not everywhere doing that, though. Do you think they should?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that if you want teachers to feel safe, you have to vaccinate them. And, and I mean,
1: the only way to fully reopen the economy is to get the kids back in school so that the parents could go to work. And the only way that the teachers are all going to feel safe is if they're all vaccinated. So, why wouldn't that be one of the first steps?
2: Zach, I think you have a job in Washington waiting for you with views like that.
1: Yeah, no, I turned it down a couple of times.
0: <laughs>
1: give, it, give it 10 years. Yeah, give me 10 years. Yeah. So Mayor, Mayor I need Walter. I need 10 years to strictly delete all of my social media posts from when I was 18. <laughs> and my last question for you is are snow days a thing of the past?
2: Uh, RIP snow days. In my you think district, they are? In my district they are this year. We don't know anything about next year, but all of them snow days <laughs> have been Snow days changed. are like
1: part of the school experience. Can you, up. you Can, can you as a away. Yeah, I agree. Can you as a teacher say like to your kids you don't have to come to class today because it's snow day. Even no matter what the district says, because no. then you're automatically a cool teacher, and it doesn't matter what if you're white or not. Those kids are going to love you then. Until you know, parents I are cool calling the uh, principal and all that stuff getting you in trouble. No,
2: I mean parents wouldn't call on this O'Neill, but I am a cool teacher. <laughs>
1: on a
2: snow day on a snow day, I made my kids go make their own snowshoes out of household supplies, videotape themselves, go outside, like put their camera in their window, and like go walk on their snowshoes, and we voted for the best design. Oh, that's Absolutely. great okay okay yeah
1: yeah that's like, good
2: i snow day and i always open a snow day with like all the work is posted get it done by two and you're checked in for the day and that's like five minutes of.
1: Ah, you're the cool that's- teacher yeah you should do something like whoever makes me the most perfect circular snowball
2: oh that's go. a good idea or like snowflake competitions like go find a snowflake on a window and take a picture and who can find no
1: no nobody wants to do that one
2: just, well, <laughs> just have boys like like this is going to be the thing i think I, I think as a female teacher you're better at teaching females so i don't know i don't think you like you, do boy. you do i think so yeah definitely
1: definitely probably adolescent t- uh, boys because you don't know what they those are boys are thinking 3rd. about
2: you after eighth grade is like where girls are taller than boys yeah. like it's that weird and like i'm in a district where like i mean i've had to teach sexual reproduction before right so like in my district not even in my district, at any age level, any middle school, eighth grade, like part of your class definitely know about and are actively thinking about sex in some way, shape or form. And part of your class, it's not even on their radar yet. And those kids interact every single day. Like that's Jesus. I know. Like, and they're in groups together and they're friends and like, they don't know who's like, who's on their radar. It is just strange. And that's like before the world of TikTok. So I don't know. TikTok changed. That's
0: my next question. What like, I don't have TikTok. I see videos randomly posted somewhere like on my Twitter feed that I'll watch, but what is, I feel like it's huge for these kids right now. And obviously by your face right there, it is.
2: I downloaded it. So it was big, probably like for the past two years, you've been hearing about it from the kids. I downloaded it probably in like April and stopped sleeping and stopped (laughs) and just rolled TikTok 24 seven. I learned how to watercolor paint. I learned how to cross stitch. I learned how to, make pinch pots out of clay and like make new foods and like penne pasta but my you kids, doing
0: dances and stuff and all that too
2: obviously there you go hmm. <laughs> yeah, so TikTok all the kids are like miss if you got in on tiktok early you could have been real famous like, real famous and it's like yeah i know i could be so i think it's like starting on social media
0: but yeah, have you ever thought about creating something like that to oh
2: get
0: yeah. your rep up a little bit
2: yeah i just even
0: yeah. more than it is
2: I have so many ideas and zero follow through. Like zero follow. Welcome to the into, club. That ties Welcome into to the club. With that sister right
0: there.
2: <laughs> three and, four, four and out. Yeah. Four
0: and out. Four and out.
2: That's it. Like I am an idea monster, but like I will not follow up or follow through for the life of me.
1: Have you ever taken uh I forget what it's called? Actually, I want to look it up. It's um foresight. Have you ever done a foresight profile? Foresight thinking profile?
2: No, tell me more.
1: It, it's it's pretty expensive. I got it through, I did, I did a course at UB and I got it through there. Um, you basically answer all these questions, like maybe 50 questions. Um, and at the end, it tells you what kind of thinking style you prefer. So like what excites you in the process? Is it, are you a clarifier, right? Like, so if somebody says, hey, let's do this. I have an idea, let's do that. And you just want to know the backstory. You want to know why you're constantly asking questions.
2: Is that where you, you are?
1: No. Are you an ideator? An ideator is somebody who just comes up with ideas all the time, but doesn't really follow through. doesn't really want to implement it. Then you have an, um, uh, an implementer and a developer, a developer then an implementer, right? So it, it, it ranks you, like, where do you get excited? Yep. Um, and I think, we, I, I think actually all well, now you four, all four of us are ideators.
2: What's your guys's love language. That's the real question. Have you done the love language quiz?
0: Nope.
2: no none Thank of you goodness. i've
0: seen never it. heard of it yeah, matt, yeah.
2: this is why you're I've thinking you of the love language you have heard of it
1: <laughs> i've heard of it i don't know where, <laughs> i don't know where it where it started mary have you heard of the love language she has what, what's your love language do you know
2: acts of service i'm i'm willing to guarantee
1: no what she doesn't she never has never heard of it
2: uh you're probably quality time matt and
1: I mean, I mean, quality time
2: and yeah. definitely not words of affirmation okay so there's five love languages one is acts of service like take shit off my to-do list that's how you show love that's how i or that's how i show love that's how i no, want That's definitely show. not me okay quality time like just spend time with me then there's like physical oh, time, i like, just
0: i said, said earlier that i don't want anybody to talk to me you're me <laughs> quality time <laughs> you got you got plenty of quality time to give yeah. though
2: <laughs> <laughs> then there's um i don't know
0: about quality it's time though <laughs>
2: Then there's words of affirmation, like say nice things to me, praise me. And then there's gifts. like That's physically So this
1: is what you like or what so you do? The
2: idea behind the love languages are, and those of you in active relationships, I recommend taking the love language quiz because the idea is that in any relationship, whether it's with your significant other or like a sibling, a kid, they have love languages of children. The way that you give love naturally is the way that you probably like to receive love. So like, I'm going to go with Mary and Zach right now. This is way off topic, whatever. So like, say that Mary, like Zach is an acts of service person. He likes people to like take shit off of his to-do list and like do things for him. Then he shows Mary love by like doing shit for her. But Mary could like not care about that shit. Mary could be like a words of affirmation person who would rather you say, I love you, Mary. You're beautiful, Mary. But instead, you're over here doing laundry, putting Joey to bed, doing all this stuff. And Mary's like, Zach doesn't even fucking love me because she's a words of affirmation person. So when Sick. you know each other's love language, you can well,
0: Actually, I'm going to do this. Language. Oh, man.
1: That's why That's why I'm having so much trouble out here.
2: Yes, you just don't know your own love language. I'm serious. That's <laughs> an what i
1: So that's, it's like, the foresight is the kind of same kind of thing. Yeah, it's
2: like, absolutely. why would
1: you put four people who are all clarifiers together because nothing's ever going to get done? All you're going to do is ask each other, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we sitting here? <laughs> For people with ideas only, they're just going to talk about other ideas, never going to do them. Same yeah. thing. Very interesting. mary we got to do la- la- uh, what's it called?
2: Love languages. <laughs> love
1: languages. Download it. No, it.
2: There's an app, but there's it's a free survey online. You know It's
1: a survey online. Just go to love Google. Google oh, that was love one of love those things like my uh,
2: actually, aunt,
0: aunt would share on Facebook or something, uh, and I'd have to like have it post <laughs> to my
1: wall no matter what. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, uh, so this is so Candy Crush of us. Was- <laughs> Uh, Which cartoon character are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tara, thank you so much uh, for coming out. We learned a lot. Uh, We respect what you do. Uh, You need to get a raise. Congratulations on being a Teacher of the Year finalist. And uh, uh, kudos to all the work you're doing.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, gentlemen. It was really my pleasure. Anytime.